0: Hello and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer or Mid East soccer podcast. I'm your host James Dorsey. Java's mosque landscape resembles a map dotted with flags marking outposts of various warring parties. Mosques with three-tiered tiled roofs reflect traditional Japanese cultural houses of worship. They outnumber the rapidly growing number of Saudi-funded mosques that sport a little dome rather than tiles as the third tier of their roof that were built by the Prosperous Justice Party, or PKS. A plaque on the construction site of a mosque in a village in central Java tells the story. The plaque features the Saudi flag, as well as the emblem of Vision 2030, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's plan to reform and diversify the kingdom's economy. The plaque thanks the World Assembly of Muslim Youth, WAMI, for the funding. WAMI is one of the government-controlled, non-governmental organizations the Saudi government has used for almost half a century to globally fund the spread of Islamic ultra-conservatism. The story the plaque tells, however, goes beyond charitable Saudi support for the construction of houses of worship in the world's largest Muslim-majority democracy. It suggests that Indonesia is in a category of its own, in a global rivalry for Muslim religious soft power, in which Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and the Southeast Asian state are major players. The plaque also calls into question Prince Mohammed's shift away from religious legitimization and massive global funding of ultra-conservative religious institutions. Finally, as in the case of Yemen, it casts doubt on the sincerity of the Saudi government's labeling of the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization. It further shines a spotlight on religious soft power competition between the Kingdom and the UAE and the two countries' different approaches in harnessing faith in a bid to define what it stands for and how it is utilized to project the state as tolerant, pluralistic, and forward-looking. To be sure, Prince Mohammed, since rising to power in 2015, has significantly curbed almost half a century of Saudi funding of ultra-conservative mosques, cultural and educational institutions, scholarships, and media across the globe, which was implemented in an effort to cement the kingdom's leadership of the Muslim world and counter Iranian revolutionary ideology. The Crown Prince has also nurtured a sense of nationalism, As a pillar of Saudi identity, curtailing the power of the kingdom's religious establishment and religion as a major legitimizer of the rule of the Al Saud family. Indonesia, however, is the exception that confirms the rule. Welcomed by tens of thousands lining the streets of Jakarta, King Salman made the importance of religious investment in Indonesia clear on a visit to Indonesia in 2017, the first by a Saudi monarch in almost half a century as part of an Asian tour that also took him, among others, to Malaysia, Japan, and China. The monarch disappointed Indonesian leaders with the degree to which he was willing to invest in the country's economy, but was more generous when it came to spending on religious soft power, Media reports suggested that the kingdom committed to building five mosques for the military and three new satellite campuses of the Saudi funded Institute for Islamic and Arabic Studies, or Lipia, in Indonesian provinces. Bahasa Indonesia, Indonesia's official language, is virtually non existent on the grounds of Lipia, a bastion of Saudi ultra conservatism in the Indonesian capital affiliated with the Imam Mohammed ibn Saud Islamic University in Riyadh. Libya is dedicated to the teaching of Arabic. Libya's more than 3,000 students study tuition-free in gender-segregated classes. The Institute frowns upon factotums of social life that are denounced as forbidden innovations by Muslim ultra-conservatives, such as music, television, and fun. Driving Saudi proselytization interests in Indonesia is far more than the kingdom's long-standing support for religious ultra-conservatism. Like in the case of Iran, it aims to counter a challenge, this time around not from a militant rival, but from one that threatens to bypass the kingdom as well as the UAE as a result of its moderation. The renewed Saudi drive came two years after Indonesian President Joko Widodo first endorsed a concept of humanitarian Islam that propagates tolerance and pluralism and endorses the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights put forward by Nahadatul Ulama, widely viewed as the world's largest Muslim movement. Mr. Widodo chose Maruf Amin, a leader of Nahadatul Ulama, founded almost a century ago in opposition to Wahhabism, Saudi Arabia's strand of Islamic ultraconservatism, as vice president for his second term. Speaking three years after his initial endorsement at the laying of the groundstone of the International Islamic University in West Java, Mr. Widodo laid down a gauntlet By declaring that it was natural and fitting that Indonesia should become the authoritative reference for the progress of Islamic civilization. Mr. Jokowi saw the university as providing an alternative to the Islamic University of Medina, that has played a key role in Saudi Arabia's religious soft power campaign, and Al Azhar the citadel of Islamic learning in Cairo that is influenced by financially backed Saudi scholars and scholarship, as well as Emirati funding. The university is a promising step to introduce Indonesia as the global epicenter for moderate Islam, said Islamic philosophy scholar Amin Abdullah. Saudi and Emirati concerns were initially assuaged where Mr. Jokowi's aspirations were thwarted, by critics within his administration. A six-page proposal to enhance Indonesian religious soft power globally, put forward by Nahadatul Ulama at the request of Mr. Widodo's minister responsible for providing administrative support for his initiatives, was buried after the foreign ministry warned that its adoption would damage relations with the Gulf states. That could have been the end of the story but neither saudi arabia nor the uae anticipated Naharatul ulama's determination to push its concept of humanitarian islam globally including at the highest levels of government in western capitals as well as in countries like india nor did they anticipate mr widodo's willingness to play both ends against the middle by supporting Naharatul ulama's campaign while engaging on religious religious issues with both the Saudis and the Emiratis. Naharatul Ulama's success in accessing European leaders, as well as the Trump administration, left the Saudis and the Emiratis with two choices, co-opt or be seen to engage. While the UAE opted to co-opt with pledges of massive economic investment and religious cooperation, Saudi Arabia pressured by influential figures in the West, put up a botched effort to be seen as engaging. In an unprecedented move, Mohammed al-Issa, the Secretary General of the Muslim World League, a prime Saudi vehicle for the global projection of religious ultra-conservatism that Prince Mohammed converted into a tool for the promotion of his concept of moderate Islam, visited the headquarters of Nahadatul Ulama in February in Jakarta. It was the first visit to one of the world's foremost Islamic organizations in the League's almost 60-year history. Although active on social media about their various engagements, neither the League nor Mr. Alisa referred on platforms like Twitter to their meeting with Nahadatul Ulama. Mr. Al Issa had turned down an opportunity to meet two years earlier when a leading Nahadatul Ulama cleric and he were both in Mecca at the same time. Mr. Al Issa told a Western interlocutor who was attempting to arrange a meeting that he had, quote, never heard of the Indonesian scholar and could not make time due to an extremely previous busy schedule of meetings with international Islamic personalities that included moderate influential figures from Palestine, Iraq, Tunisia, Russia, and Kazakhstan. Saudi Arabia was forced several months later, in the run-up to the 2019 Indonesian presidential election, to replace its ambassador in Jakarta, Osama bin Mohammed Abdullah al shuwaib The ambassador had denounced in a tweet that has since been deleted, UNSOR a young adult's organization of Naharatul Ulama, as heretical, and he had supported an anti-government demonstration. During his February visit, Mr. Al-Issa signaled his intention by taking with him to the group's headquarters, Hidayat Nur Wahid, a leader of the Indonesian PKS, the Muslim Brotherhood Aligned Political Party, and a staunch rival of the National Awakening Party, or PKB, that is closely associated with Nahadatul Ulama. Mr. Wahid is also a Muslim World League Supreme Council member and on the advisory board of the Saudi-funded King Abdullah bin Abdulaziz International Center for Interreligious and Intercultural Dialogue, KICIID, in Vienna. However, Mr. Widodo's office barred Mr. Wahid from attending Mr. Al-Isa's meeting with the president. Tellingly, pleading commitments in Indonesia, Mr. Wahid had bowed out of a groundbreaking visit to the former Nazi concentration camp of Auschwitz by 25 Muslim leaders headed by Mr. Al-Isa weeks before the Muslim World League chief traveled to Indonesia. Critics suggested that Mr. Wahid who had criticized an earlier visit to Jerusalem by a Nahadatul Ulama leader at the invitation of the American Jewish Committee would have been going out on a limb by joining the delegation in Auschwitz. This is the Saudis playing double games, said a leader of the Nahadatul Ulama. PKS's links to the Muslim Brotherhood and its apparent reluctance to buy into Saudi Arabia and the Muslim World League's agenda of a nominally tolerant and pluralistic Islam that engages with powerful Jewish communities as well as Israel has not prevented the kingdom from ensuring that the party benefits from its financial largesse. Back in Javanese villages, PKS's building of mosques with Saudi money is paying off. Contrary to Javanese tradition, The mosque in the central Javanese village was named after the Saudi benefactor who funded the construction through the World Assembly of Muslim Youth. We don't name mosques after human beings, complained the Nahalatul Ulama villager. A Palestinian flag fluttered suddenly from the roof of the village's pickup truck hub, from where farmers transport their produce to market, with few residents recognizing what it represented. Rather than taking the flag down, Naratul Ulama changed the tenor of its religious education and events in the village, reverting back to the nationalistic and militaristic themes of Bansar, the five million member militia of Ansor, its young adult's wing, in an effort to set the stage for a potential confrontation if the PKS continued its agitation. The 2019 elections were nonetheless proof of PKS's Saudi-backed success. The party won more than 20% of the vote in a village in which historically one could count its votes on the fingers of one hand. The war songs and events attended by Banser members in uniform are sending a message. It's a message that is being heard by the other side. Banser, was always strong in our area, but now people are lining up, said a prominent Naharatul Ulama member in the village. He suggested that the parties were for now keeping the peace in the village, but that could change if and when Naharatul Ulama decides that its militia has no choice but to step in. It would not be the first time the militia has successfully confronted the more militant hardcore Islamist groups on the streets of Java, warned Indonesian Home Affairs Minister Tito Karnavian, the real challenge of Indonesia today is the rise of intolerance, intolerant groups, or intolerant ideologies. Speaking in a webinar hosted by the Religious Freedom Institute, Mr. Karnavian pointed to strands of religion that have inherent teachings of intolerance, such as Salafism it's not Indonesian strand of Islam, of course, being imported. This is happening today in Indonesia. They want to envision the establishment of Indonesia as an Islamic state. Sharia being implemented would be the breakup of the country, he said. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, the turbulent world of Middle East soccer at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Best wishes and take care in these trying times.